0: today. And what I see in the church today is that there are very few who finish the race. There are very few who finish the race. There are very few people who are going to go to heaven. Jesus said that road to heaven is narrow and there are few who find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many that go that way. But now I would take that same parallel and put it into the church And what we find is that even in the church, I believe that so many of us, we are entangled with the affairs of this life. And what ends up happening is we are distracted. And all these things, deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And so it's a warning for us. I don't know about you, but when I read this section right here, I just think, Lord, and I pray, Lord, and I just ask God, Lord, and I cry out, Lord, don't let this be me. There's a lot of things I think we can identify with. But let's look at this chapter right here. As we read about this history of Israel, now Saul is king. And it says in verse 1 that Saul reigned one year, And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan, that's his son, in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent." And so we come now to a juncture in the history of Israel in which the militia no longer exists in Israel. Now they have what we would consider to be more of a formal army under King Saul. Not simply called together in times of battle, although that would happen, but now we do have a core crew of 3,000 men chained and trained for war. And so here they are, we read about them, that 2,000 were with Saul, And the thousand, we read right here, were with his son, Jonathan. You know, and and as you go through this section of scripture, and it doesn't matter if it's in your devotional life or it doesn't matter if it's maybe in a study that you engage in or maybe even on Thursday nights, I really pray with all my heart that you would endeavor to, to see the beautiful characteristics of Jonathan And emulate him. And you would please open your eyes to see the horrid characteristics of Saul. And flee those characteristics. Jonathan now is introduced. And for those of you guys who have studied the Bible, you know, huh? Jonathan is cool, man. I mean, Jonathan is awesome. He is such, he is one of the most wonderful characters in all The Bible. And as we learn and as we go through these things, I pray that you and I, man, I don't know how, you know, through the Holy Spirit, through osmosis, through the teaching, through a hunger that you and I would become like Jonathan and not like Saul. It's the first time he's mentioned in the Bible and his name means Jehovah has given and God definitely has given him to us as an example in the pages of scripture. We're going to see tonight and in the future weeks that we learn lessons from the lives of these two men, things that we should do, things that we shouldn't do. As a matter of fact, right away, notice there in verse three, it says, and Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it, said that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. And so if you could travel back in time and you find yourself there in Israel, we read in verse 1 that Saul had been king for one year and then two years. And in a certain way, in a in a weird way, there was a peace. But what had happened was Saul had made peace with the enemy. And he was living in this land in which the enemies were controlling the land. And they were controlling God's people. And Saul was actually in one way okay with that. And so he didn't do anything. He had a... You know, an army, 3,000 guys, big deal. He didn't do anything. But Jonathan did, huh? We read right there in verse 3 that Jonathan picked a fight, (laughs) right? He attacked the garrison of the Philistines. Jonathan was not content with allowing the enemy to control God's land or God's people. And therefore, Jonathan, he started a fight. You know, and I think that we have to be careful as Christians that we don't become pacifists, that we don't become, you know, um, complacent. You know, I, I think that the way that life works is that, you know, I, I know that sometimes it's a struggle. Like, how does it work when your kids are at school and there's a bully that's bullying all the children around? I mean, is it okay for your son or your daughter to maybe make a stand and to maybe – punch the bully in the stomach. I mean, is that ever okay? <laughs> Recently I heard about a little girl. She comes to the church, and they were at the park, and one of these kids were picking on the other kids. So she you know what she did? I think she beat him up. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, you know, and there's, a, there's a time for that. There's a place for that. Of course, we as Christians, we're not crusaders. We don't do this in a violent way, but we do it in a spiritually violent way. We do it in an aggressive way, in a passionate way, in which when we see the enemy controlling God's land and God's people, when we see the enemy, and we're going to see the Philistines, man, they were supposed to be over here on the west coast. Really all the land belonged to Israel, but they had the west coast. But now they came deep into Israel. And so Jonathan, he he just says, you know what? I'm just going to attack. And that's what he does. Saul, unfortunately, had made peace with the enemy. We see as we go through this whole thing right here that with Jonathan, it didn't matter that Israel was outnumbered. It didn't matter that the Philistines had greater weapons from a human perspective. That wasn't the issue. You see, Jonathan really believed in the Lord. He really did. And what we find is that even though the New Testament hadn't been written yet, he held tight to the truth that we have in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, where the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And the bottom line is if we open our eyes as Christians, we will find that there are strongholds that Satan has in our country in our community, in our family, in our ministry. And we can't just sit back and allow him to take control. We can't be people that are passive because those people are making peace with the enemy. How do you do it? Do you need a lot of numbers? Well, that's the way the world thinks. You know, do you need a lot of money? That's the way the world thinks. Well, we'll wait until we get the money, and we'll wait until we get the numbers of people and buildings or whatever it might be. And God says, no, start the fight now. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not human. They're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Some of us here, we might probably don't even see the strongholds. We're so lost in that place of complacency that we don't even see the chains. But if we open our eyes, we'll see and we'll realize that there really is more. There really is more that God has for us, that God has for you. You may think, well, I'm not wired that way. That's not the type of person that I am. It does not matter. Jesus Christ lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. There is no reason why you cannot love the way Jesus loves. There is no reason that you cannot pray as he prayed and know the word the way he knew the word. There is no reason why you and I, by his grace, cannot defeat the devil himself. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But we have to be so careful that we don't you know, become passive types of people. We need to pick fights. We need to ask God to lead us. And we need courage. You see, Saul was not there. And to make matters worse, the thing that just it really turns my stomach, it says right here that, that Saul, in verse 3, he blew the trumpet, right? And then it says right there that all Israel heard, what did they hear? That Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines. And you're like, wait a minute, I just read in verse 3 that Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines. And what we find is that, you know, yeah, well, some might say, well, in a roundabout way, was under the overall leadership of Saul. But you know what that is? That's a half-truth. And you know what a half-truth is? A whole lie, right? <laughs> and you know what was going on here, and we see it so clearly, is Saul, he was one of those guys that that did not want anyone else, to be acknowledged or received or recognized. He was a guy we're going to see filled with so much fears and insecurities that when he blew the trumpet, he just said, Hey, you know, I've I've got this victory. I want everybody to know about it. And all Israel heard. And it's really an ugly thing, you guys. You know, again, I don't know for sure, but based on everything else we read about Saul... I would say he didn't want anyone, not even his own son, to receive any type of recognition. David Guzik said plainly, Saul is taking the credit for Jonathan's bold attack on the garrison of the Philistines. This is a bad sign in the heart and character of Saul. You know, it just begins to show us what type of leader this man was. He was a liar. And He was a fearful man. He did not trust God. He did not want anyone to receive the recognition. You know, one thing that I've learned in life as a leader is that, man, number one, you know, if it was limited to what I could do, we would be in big trouble. I thank God for the other men that God has raised up in this church, uh, the other women that God has raised up in this church to teach and to lead. And for God to use in a mighty way. And we need to have that type of heart. And we need to guard ourselves against ever you know, becoming possessive of any position in the ministry. I, I really believe that we need to raise others up to go farther than we've ever gone. And I really believe that we need to esteem others better than ourselves. And it doesn't matter what you think about me and him. When you compare all these types of things, you know, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that each individual person is faithful before God. All I know is that when I look at Jonathan, I want to be like Jonathan. When I see Saul, I say, Lord, don't let me be like this man. And so we read in verse 5, Then the Philistines, they gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots. Now, more than likely, this is 3,000 chariots. It's just a a real simple scribal error. But still, that's a lot, okay? That would be like 3,000 tanks, okay? 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen or cavalry. And it says, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger for the people were distressed then the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews, they crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal and all the people followed him, trembling. And so you kind of see the whole thing unfolding. You see that Israel is under the Philistine domination. You know, God raises up an army for Saul, but he doesn't do anything with it. Jonathan does. Jonathan starts a fight, so the Philistines come. And as they come, imagine that. 3,000 chariots, 6,000 cavalry, and men against you as the sand of the sea. And so what ended up happening? Well, the army of Israel began to wane. And they hid in the thickets, in the caves, in the rocks. It says they even went on the other side of the Jordan. It was like a time of war. And they fled because they were afraid. You know, something that's real interesting right here is this Hebrew word distress. Notice again right here, it says in verse 6, When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed. Now, that's really interesting because the Hebrew word right here is the Hebrew word nagas. And it means being oppressed. It actually means to be driven. It's most often translated in the Bible as an oppressor and a taskmaster. And, And basically what you find right here, if you just allow the contrast of Jonathan and Saul to be highlighted by the Holy Spirit, what you find, again, is very simple to see, is that the people were not being fed and led by their leader. They were being driven. They were being oppressed. They had a taskmaster over them who wasn't really a loving leader with a shepherd's heart. And when that's your leader, when that's the life, when that's where you live, it's no wonder that their army it fell apart. I'm sure it's easy to stay together when there's no war, when there's no fight, when there's no challenge. But then when the challenge came, and it was real and it was formidable, what they did is they followed their leader to a place where their leader was. And really their leader was in the same condition. You know, what we find is Saul, number one, he failed to act decisively and number two, he failed to inspire the people. He failed to lead the people to the Lord. What did Israel want? They wanted a king. Well, they got a king. They got what they asked for, but their problems were not solved. And what we find in, in life, and for those of you who are leaders, it doesn't matter if you're a dad or a mom or you know small groups, ministry, Or, you know, whatever it is, a pastor, an elder, it doesn't matter. We must, we must point the people to Jesus Christ. We must. Because if you point the people to yourself, then you will fail them. They need to learn to love the Lord. They need to learn to have a personal relationship with God. And if we're all led by the Lord, what will God do? You know, as a leader, another thing that's very important is that you've got to be right. You've got to be right with the Lord. You can never lead someone farther than you've gone. You know, let's just say I wanted to teach you how to make your bed. But I didn't know how to make my bed. It wouldn't work. And here I am trying to teach you how to follow Jesus Christ, and I myself am not following Jesus Christ. Saul failed in every area. The Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, the disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And so they were kind of like Saul. Saul was distressed. Saul was afraid. And all reality, just like Saul began, he was hiding among the, you know, the stuff. He was probably wanting to do the same thing again, wanting to hide, wanting to run. Saul, Saul quivered in his boots. We're going to see it again later, huh, you guys? Remember the story of, of of David and Goliath? Remember? Goliath was going out there every single day. Somebody fight me. Come on. You know, Saul was the one we read earlier. He stood head and shoulders above the rest. Why didn't he go fight Goliath? Because he was not that type of man, right? He didn't have that courage necessary to lead. And so we read in verse 7, the perfect a synopsis. All the people followed him doing what? Just trembling. Trembling. This is not how God's people are to march. You guys, we are to march in victory. We are to march in confidence. If God is for us, then who can be against us, right? But unfortunately, Saul was not that type of leader we're going to see as the story unfolds that all the people followed Saul. But we're also going to see, praise God, that one armor bearer followed Jonathan. And those two brave men we'll see in the next chapter, with God's heart and God's help, would bring victory to an entire nation against the odds in the kingdom of men. And so, you know, it, here's something you guys, if you might, you might want to write down. Things to learn, because again, we learn from others' failures at times, right? Number one, Saul failed to fight for God. Uh, Number two, Saul failed to lead to God. And we see number three, Saul failed to wait on God. Because look what it says here in verse eight, and then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And so Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. He failed to fight, he failed to lead, and he failed to wait. And I'll be honest with you, those are three things that if we really do a deep check of our heart, we can so easily be guilty of. You're not fighting because you're afraid. You're not leading because you're not in love with the Lord and the people. And you're not waiting on the Lord because one of the problems that we have as Americans is we are so impatient, right? We're a microwave society, right? How many of you here sinned because you thought the red light lasted too long on your way over here? You go through the drive-thru and you're like, Man, I've been here for three minutes. (laughs) You know, and, and you know, just everything in life, man, we are so impatient. We are not willing to wait on the Lord so many times. And to wait on the Lord, it requires not only patience, but it requires a depth of faith that, that really a lot of times we're not willing to, you know, to, to just dive into, man, to trust God, really. Because, you know, we think that we need to take matters into our own hands. Be so careful. You know, Abraham did that, right? Remember, he couldn't wait. And so Sarah said, here's my maidservant Hagar going to her. I'm sure we'll work it out that way. Everything's going to be cool. And what ended up happening? You guys know Ishmael was born. And for the rest of all time, man would suffer because of his sin. That's what happens when we don't want to wait on the Lord. You know, Isaiah chapter 40, Israel said, God doesn't see what's going on in my life. God doesn't see. My way is hidden from him. And God, you you want to know something? We managed to forget him, but he has never forgotten you. Never. Not for a split second. Never has he forgotten you. Your way is not hidden from him. But you must wait on the Lord. And it's not just a waiting of tap oh, you know, not just a waiting of impatience, it's a waiting of faith, it's a waiting of trust. God will do the work. See, Samuel was on his way, and we don't know for sure like when he told them I'd be there in seven days. But so Saul waits, and once that, you know, the clock hits, boom, you know, it's like It's been, you know, 24 hours times seven. Boom, he's not here. What does he do? He goes and he offers a sacrifice, a burn offering and a peace offering. But wait a minute. The sons of Aaron were only allowed to do that. You know, last I checked, Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. What's going on here? He's not even of the Levitical line. But what he does is he just straight out disobeys. He says, I've waited long enough. He ignored the word of God and he made himself a priest. And yet Saul was not called or qualified to offer sacrifices. And so this was a serious sin. Remember Hebrews 5 verse 1. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is anointed for men in things pertaining to God, that they may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And then in verse 4 of Hebrews 5, it says, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who was called by God just as Aaron was. You see, one of the things I've learned in life, and this is where we have to be right on in our relationship with God, is whatever you do, don't lag behind. But whatever you do, don't go beyond. There's a certain place in the body of Christ for all of us to be, and we belong there. And we need to know that place. Unfortunately, Saul... He'd been an anointed king. He hadn't been anointed as priest. But he said, you know what? I'm the leader now. And, you know, I'm kind of above the law. And yet, we're never above the law. You know, another fascinating fact here. In verse 10, notice it says that it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. Okay, the Hebrew word for greet is barak. I wish I could do it say it the way they do. Barak. I don't know. You guys know what that means? Does anybody know that Hebrew word? Some of you here somebody's got to know. It's it's to bless. This word in the Hebrew is found 330 times. 302 times is translated to bless. And basically what Saul was doing is this man, I'm a priest now. Not only am I going to offer sacrifices, man, I'm going to give the priestly blessing to Samuel. I mean the guy, you know, the how do you say it, the cheese slipped off his cracker, man? I mean I mean, like Romans chapter twelve, I think it's verse three, he thought too highly of himself. And he was in very big trouble. What we find right here is it's reminiscent, if you get a chance later on, if you've never read it before, Numbers chapter 16, Korah's rebellion. They also were not content with what God had given them. They wanted to be part of the priesthood. The same thing happened with King Uzziah. Let's turn there for that one because this is such a heavy story. 2 Chronicles 26, and King Uzziah, man, was such a good king, man, such a good king. But notice it says right here in verse 16, and here's where it gets dangerous. It says, when his heart was strong, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. What does that mean? He was prideful, huh? Like, you know, he did everything right, and he was strong. His heart was lifted up, notice, to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And so Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah. And they said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord. And then Uzziah, it says, became furious. And he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, notice what happens. Leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord, beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. And there on his forehead... He was leprous. And so they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. Let these be warnings to us. If we think too highly of ourselves, if we go beyond what God's called us to do, to be the place in the body of Christ, It's important for us to understand uh, what God wants us to do, and then once we discover that, to do that faithfully. Don't be like Korah. Don't be like Uzziah. And whatever you do, don't be like Saul. What we find right here, number one, is Saul failed to fight for God. Number two, Saul failed to lead to God. Number three, Saul failed to wait on God. And then the last thing is Saul failed to repent before God. Because when he does this whole thing and he offers up the sacrifice and he goes to Samuel to greet him and Samuel asks him a question in verse 11, what have you done? Saul said, well, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said the Philistines will now come down on the road at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And you see, the way it works is this. When Samuel asked Saul what he did there in the beginning of verse 11, what have you done? He was only looking for one answer. Only one would be right. I have sinned. But it seems like that's the one answer that we will not confess. Why? Because we know how to make excuses for our sin. And if that's you, my friend, then you are a Saul. You know, we make excuses going into it. We make excuses after it. And the one thing that we lack is a true and genuine repentance before God, realizing and understanding this, that there is never, ever, ever an excuse for sin. Never. Oh, yeah, but you don't know what He did to me. It doesn't matter. There's never... An excuse for sin. Never. But that seems to be our tendency, right? What did Adam say? What did Eve say? Eve said, Hey, it was a serpent. It's his fault. The very beginning. What did Adam say? It's a woman's fault. Ultimately, God, it's your fault. You gave her to me, man. (laughs) And that's the way we are in life. Here we see Saul right here. Did what he always did. it was his downfall, it was his ruin is what made him different from David. David sinned more than Saul did, but the problem is is that Saul never simply said those words, "I have sinned and repented of that sin. He always had excuses. and first, what does he do? Well, he blames it on the people they're leaving. It doesn't matter if they leave. Jonathan knew that. God was saved with many or with few. It's the people's fault. They're leaving. And then he blames it on Samuel because he wasn't coming. You're late. It's your fault. It's their fault. It's your fault, Samuel. He then brings up the Philistines. They're gathering. And he basically tells Samuel there in verse 12, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. He basically says I had no other choice. And here's where I think we can really learn, or I should say unlearn, some of the bad things and habits and wickedness of our hearts that we tend to teach even of ourselves. You know, why do we sin? Why? Well, it's because of him. It's because of her. It's because of you. It's because of them. You know, we have so many reasons. This man blames it on his abusive father. The other guy blames it on the absence of his father. This guy says I was born that way. It's genetic. And that girl says I was brought up that way. My life was hectic. And what can happen is we become so good at making excuses and we begin to really think those excuses for sins are valid. And I just want to just make it very clear. There is never, ever an excuse for sin. And if you're busted and you get caught in sin, even if your wife did ten things wrong and you only did one thing wrong, Let those three words flow out of your mouth. I have sinned. It's very important. You know, I've told you guys before what Billy Sunday said about excuses, right? They're just reasons stuffed with a lie. Remember that? Abraham Lincoln, or Benjamin Franklin, one of those guys. He said, I never knew a man who was good at making excuses, who was good at anything else. And I wish we could just camp out here all night long because I don't know about you, but this resonates in my heart and I see it in the church. We make excuses. And God says, no, you're more than that. I live in you. You become a godly man. No matter what is going on, no matter who is harassing you, no matter what your circumstances are, No matter what's going on physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, there are no excuses for sin. As a matter of fact, you and I should just worship God. You know, when I think of this right here, I think of what Saul did, number one, because of fear, okay? And I just pray, you guys, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid to follow the Lord. Number one, because of fear. Number two, because of feelings, because of feelings. Because notice again what he says there in verse 12. Therefore I felt compelled. And your feelings, how you feel a certain way. Someone says something to you and what happens? You get mad, angry. I don't know if it's a chemical that gets released or what, man. You can't change the way you feel, but you know you feel that way. And that's why whenever we, we live, okay, There's these are some of our enemies. Fear is one of them. Okay, you want to know what conquers fear? Faith. Faith will conquer fear. I believe in God. And I believe His promises that He's with me. And then there's feelings. You know what conquers feelings? Convictions. This is what God's Word says. And it doesn't matter how I feel, I will go against the grain of who I am. And I will do what's right. Because if not, we will end up being a fool. Because look at verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Imagine that. What could have been in your life? What could have been? What a difference it would have made to his descendants after him if only he would have followed the Lord. You know, Saul reigned for 40 years, but his son, his beautiful son, suffered because of his sin. He says, you know, you would have had a kingdom forever, a dynasty, but Now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Why? It's real simple. (laughs) Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Very simple. You are disobedient. And that's how important it is. So important for us. Now what we find in looking at this right here is that Saul acted foolishly. I like what Warren Wiersbe said, foolishly. It was foolish of Saul to think that he could disobey God and get away with it. It was foolish for Saul to think that his disobedience would bring God's blessings. It was foolish of Saul to think that he could do evil and good may come. He was foolish to conclude that the sacrifice of a king at the wrong time was as good as the sacrifice of a priest at the right time. And I just pray, you guys, that we would understand that, you know, living that life will have consequences. Maybe it's not too late. You know, some people say this because it didn't happen until many, many years later. Some people say that, you know, right here when when Samuel is kind of uh, telling him your kingdom is going to be taken away, that that there was still hope. There was still hope that if Saul would have repented, undoubtedly God would have been merciful to him. Kind of like Jonah when he went to Nineveh and God gave Jonah a message. God said, "Go tell." Those Ninevites, that judgment is coming. I mean, God declared it, judgment. But what happened? The Ninevites repented in dust and ashes and sackcloth and fastings. And God had mercy on them. My prayer is that maybe you're here today and you've been a Saul. And maybe you even hear judgment. But I pray that you would cast yourselves down at the mercy of God. Because, you know, what we find is that God in the end, He wants us to be not like Saul. He wants us to be like David. Notice again there in verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has what? He sought for Himself. A man, what? After His own heart. You know who that is, right? Brother David, man. We're going to meet him in heaven one day. I can't wait to... Talked to that guy. They said he was, I think he had a red hair. He was good looking, ruddy young lad. But man, when you see David's heart, the Bible says in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22 that he had a heart after God's own heart. Here it is, who will do all my will. And that's all we want, you guys. It's not real complicated. Please continue to read the Bible. Continue to search out the pages of Scripture. Learn what it means to be a husband and be it. Learn what it means to be a wife and, and a parent and a single person, a Christian, every role and responsibility we have in life. And, and, and just follow through. Don't believe the lie that says you can't. Don't believe the lie that says you know, you're compelled to sin. You're not. The Bible says that with every temptation, there'll be provided a way of escape, right? Just look for that way of escape. Wear your armor. Go out into the day in every situation, in every encounter that you have with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Believe in God, you guys, more than you have ever in your life. And I just pray that as we have communion right now, that you would know how good God is, that he would die for you. Isn't that amazing? This God who made everything came down and died on a cross because of the love that he has for you. And so I'm reminded of this song by Gia Lucid. Let me see if I, I don't remember the lyrics. I'm, I'm, I'm actually asking the teenagers to memorize this. But it's called Remind Me. If you don't have that song, go on iTunes, download it by Gia Lucid. As we have communion... Listen to these words. It says, Remind me of your sacrifice when I don't give my all to you. Remind me of the shame you bore when I complain about all I'm going through. Remind me of your nail-pierced hands when I won't lift my hands and surrender. When I forget the reason I live, remind me of the cross. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our leader. He has died to himself and he calls us. He beckons us to follow him. And so I really pray that today would be a turning point in all of our lives. That the power of the Holy Spirit would flood our hearts and that we would like the Bible says Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, for he looked to the reward. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, you guys. Get rid of those things that the Holy Spirit has been telling you to get rid of. Kill it. Flee it. And fix your eyes on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I just thank you, Lord, so much for allowing us to study your word